and good morning to you. My name is Aaron, Aaron Dowds, and a massive welcome if you're watching on Facebook Live, on YouTube, whether you're with us on Zoom, whether you're normally with us at the Vine Church on Sunday mornings or not, a massive welcome to you. I want to talk this morning on living unafraid through coronavirus. One thing is for sure, we're in the midst of one of the greatest challenges our world and nation has ever faced with the threat of coronavirus. As of the 31st of March, the WHO, the World Health Organization, reports more than three quarters of a million confirmed cases of coronavirus with over 36,571 deaths and 203 countries, areas or territories with confirmed cases. In the UK, there's been 2,352 deaths, each one significant, each one a terrible loss and terribly sad and our hearts, prayers and thoughts are with those that have been lost with their families, with loved ones, with those who are suffering right now. We continue to pray with, with you and for you as a church. I know this is such a difficult time for so many. There's been a media frenzy like never before and the world has never been more afraid or nervous. I work in the pharmacy and I see the fear, I hear the fear that people tell me, um, especially those that have got medical conditions such as COPD chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder and other issues that make them very vulnerable. There is a fear um, that people have of this virus. Now, there was a lady called Immaculate Elabagiza. She was born and raised in a small village in Rwanda, Africa. And she had a peaceful childhood. She lived with her, her loving parents and three brothers. She attended the National University of Rwanda to study electrical and mechanical engineering. Now, it was while she was home from school on an Easter break in 1994 that Immaculate's life was transformed forever. And on April the 6th of that year, the Rwandan's president's plane was shot down over the capital city of Kigali. It changed everything. And the assassination of the Hutu president sparked months of unbelievable massacres of Tutsi tribe members throughout the country like you wouldn't even imagine. Not even small rural communities like Immaculate's were spared from the house by house slaughtering of men, women and children. Now to protect his only daughter from rape and murder, Immaculate's father told her to run to a local ha uh, pastor's house for protection. And the pastor quickly sheltered Immaculate and seven other women in a hidden three by four foot bathroom for 91 days. We've been two weeks where we've been told to isolate and stay in the house. And for some, that is enough. And uh, it's, it's too much. Immaculate had 91 days in a three by four foot bathroom with seven other women. For 91 days, the other women huddled silently in this small room. They couldn't flush the toilet until the other toilet flushed in case anyone discovered them. And as they were in there, the genocide raged outside the home and throughout the country. Now, Immaculate describes in her book and videos that she was angry. She was angry, confused and upset. She was eaten up and consumed in this bathroom with desires for revenge. But in that bathroom, she felt God started to speak to her and to challenge her. And she describes in her book, Left to Tell, which is an incredibly gripping book, that her life changed forever. The decision in that bathroom during the genocide, while it raged outside, is what led Immaculate to visit later on in her life the man that murdered her father, 
mother and two brothers. She visited them in prison and she forgave him. I want us just to listen for a few minutes to Immaculate. I wanted to spread peace. I wanted to say this is stronger. I wanted to move people from here and change their mind as I was changing to come on this side. It was then I felt this must be what they call forgiveness, the peace I'm feeling, the freedom to dream. If you read my book, Left to Tell, I started learning English when I was still in the bathroom. Because when the anger was gone, this force, this sickening force in my heart, in my head, in my mind, was occupying my mind, when it was gone, I was left with a question. Now what do I do with my life since I'm not angry anymore? I had to learn English just in case I might have to find a job with people who speak English. I had to think about my future. How do I take care of myself? And the girls thought I was going crazy, but it was so clear. So funny, actually. The English I learned in the bathroom, I had to read a book in English. I asked the man to give me. And the dictionary English-French, using one word per word and going to check the meaning of it. And it's so funny, every phrase I memorized in that bathroom, three months later, I found myself sitting in an interview with United Nations, exactly being asked the same questions in English. What's your name? I'm like, I know that question. I already host in the bathroom. And it really, I mean, it's amazing how we can be prepared. But all that, it was really because the anger was out. We ended up staying in that bathroom for three months. The very first time I came out, I was hoping that maybe some members of my family are still hiding, as I was. But I found out everybody was killed. My mom was killed, my dad, my two brothers, my grandma, my grandpa, my neighbors, my schoolmates, my friends. It was like end of the world. A million people was killed in a period of three months. Rwanda is the size of Maryland state. You can cross the country in six, eight hours. Everywhere was dead bodies. And a part of me was calling me, die, crush. What do you do when you, you see this, when you have nobody? But there was a strength in me. I felt like God was holding my stomach and my chest and was reminding me, don't crush, don't die. I am with you. The journey of your loved ones is over here, but not over there. But yours is still here. And it is up to you how you choose to deal with it how you choose to use it. It might be one more year, one week, one day, 10 years, 50 years. But whatever that is, life is your gift, and it is up to you how you choose to use it. Either to love or to hate, to uplift or to bow down, to be kind or to be mean. If you choose love, I am with you. If you choose kindness, I am with you. And it is literally, I have learned how to just respect that voice. I will wake up in the refugee camp and start looking around. Somebody I can give help. Just in case, that will be my last day. And that became the motivation of my life. I really think I live happier than when I thought I had everything. Because I don't know when it's going to end. Like again, that moment, it can be one more day for all of us. 
We take it for granted, but we don't know how long we live. But whatever life we have, we can choose to really live it joyfully. Take advantage, do something good. So when you lay down at night, you can say, I have contributed. I have done something kind. I have helped somebody. That what gives me my joy. That what helps me to be alive and to hope that one day I can see my parents. I can meet my brothers again. And before I leave, I want to remind you. I know many times we speak to a group, and it is a group, but everyone is individual. And we all have our own experiences. We all have our own troubles, our own obstacles we face. Please, from my heart to yours, no matter what happens to you, remember there is always hope. Don't give up. Keep pressing and love every minute of your life. It is your gift. It is up to you how you choose to use it. And lastly, if I can forgive, anybody can forgive. Thank you so much for having me. What incredible, inspirational woman. Did you hear what she said? She heard God said, don't crush, don't die. I am with you. Life is a gift and it's up to you how you choose to use it, either to love or to hate. Now, I don't think we can ever fully get our head around and understand why they're suffering um, on this side of eternity. This is what William Lane Craig says. Undoubtedly, the problem of evil or suffering is the most impo important argument in support of atheism. When you consider the extent and depth of human suffering in the world, whether it is due to natural disaster or to man's own inhumanity to man, then I think we have to admit that it's hard to believe in God. The horrible suffering in the world certainly seems to be evidence of God's absence. It's in times like these, while times like immaculate in the bathroom of genocide raging outside, in that instance it was an example of evil actions of men. Whether it's the suffering caused by a virus, an earthquake, a tsunami, it's very hard to understand, and this is one of the strong arguments for atheism, how can God and a loving God exist? while they're suffering on the earth. But one thing Immaculate heard God say was, I am with you. One thing we can be assured of, there will be suffering in this world. We will face many challenges, and we will, and we do, continue to experience pain, disappointment, and suffering on this earth. One thing we learned through the long and painful journey, when we lost our own son uh, about 17 years ago, was that we had to walk close with God, that God is still with us, that like he was with Immaculate in the bathroom, he was with us in that hospital room when we lost our son. God never leaves us. Yes, there is suffering. Yes, there is pain. Yes, there is disappointment on this earth. But God is also on this earth and he can choose to be with us and help us and if, if we will trust him and follow him. Now, one of the many questions that we face as Christians is, and, and one of the questions we're faced with in this coronavirus season is how can I live without fear during this time? 
we've got these wonderful verses from Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 5. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honoured in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. The message translation says, when you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, this is rough waters, we're in over our head. But he says, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, we are economically, financially, emotionally, spiritually, but he says it won't be a dead end because I am God, your personal God, the Holy of Israel, your Saviour. I paid a huge price for you. Um, all of Egypt with Cush and Seba thrown in. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back, tread the creation just for you so don't be afraid i'm with you and again there's this recurring theme throughout the bible and throughout stories of those that have been through tragedy and suffering and pain of god being with them as we lost our son we experienced god with us his grace his provision of strength your ability to cope comes when you need it the most you often think how will i cope you underestimate god's grace to us he gives it to us as we need it just in time not before but just as we need he gives us the grace the strength to get through what we need so what hope can we take from these words well we're promised that you will go through waters and rivers we're promised that you will go through fires and flames it's no surprise that we go through suffering we're not told if you go through waters and fires but when you go through waters and fires. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. And that word tribulation comes from the Greek word thlipsis. We mentioned it before. It means oppression, anguish, tribulation, adversity, afflicting, crushing, squashing, squeezing, distress. It's the picture of taking some grapes in your hand and squashing those grapes. That's thlipsis. It's putting pressure onto something. And that word thlipsis is used to describe crushing grapes or olives in a press. Now, that's a very apt word. Um, that's a very uh, precise word for our time just now, thlipsis, because that's very much what we feel like. We feel like the world is in a press being crushed and squashed and squeezed and oppression. But it is worthwhile noting right now that wine is produced through the crushing of grapes. And it reminds us that, yes, we're not diminishing the pain 
the sadness of uh, suffering. We can't underestimate that. It's significant and it's big and it's very difficult to walk through. But we're acknowledging that even God can bring beauty from ashes. As grapes are crushed, it's the first in the production of a beautiful wine. God can even bring beauty from ashes. Now, Isaiah tells us that we will go through rivers and fires. Jesus tells us that we will go through tribulation and massive pressure. So it's no surprise. We live in a fallen, broken world. We live in the now and not yet of the kingdom. One, one day there will be a world where there's no suffering or pain or viruses or death or, or loss. For those who believe in Jesus, that's what he taught. But now we live in the now and not yet. So we experience suffering. And uh, one thing that pressure does is it creates fear. And we grapple with fear. Fear is very real. You can get hit with it during the night. A thought passes your head. What if I get coronavirus? What if my child gets coronavirus? Or what if one of my parents get? And then all of a sudden fear can grip you. So how can we live through this outbreak without fear? Or when fear comes, how can we deal with it and live fear free through this season. Now, number one, I want to say, know who you are. You've got to know who you are. Isaiah gives us the first reason we should not be afraid. And I'm getting warm because the sun is shining through that window. So excuse me a second while I open that window and get some fresh air in. There we go. So Isaiah gives us the first reason that you should not be afraid. He said, you are mine. You are mine. When you put your faith in Jesus, when you become a follower of him, you're adopted into God's family and you become one of his children. You are mine. Now that's an incredibly powerful truth that we must fully grasp in order to be free from fear. What did Jesus say? Are not to, in Matthew 10, 29 to 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very head hairs of your head are all numbered. That's easier for some than others. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You see the truth of your adoption, who your father is, who you belong to, and your true value is essential if you're going to be unafraid. So we need to grasp this truth fully. And for that, you need the Word and the Spirit. And we must meditate day and night on that Word. And the Bible says in Psalm 1-3, the person who meditates on his Word day and night is like a person, like a tree that's planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not weather. Whatever they do prospers. To live fear from free from fear, you need to meditate. To be like that tree planted by streams of living water. To meditate day and night on the truth. And that's more than just reading. It's repeating, chewing over, and allowing the Holy Spirit to take the truth and make it reality inside of us. So it's not just a head knowledge, but it's a heart conviction and that comes through word and the spirit the spirit is the holy spirit is god and three persons he sent his holy spirit 
and it must be word and spirit when we meditate and Ephesians says for Ephesians 1 17 19 I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation you see that's what we need we need the truth meditation the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better because as you get to know him better through the truth meditation and then the revelation the revealing by the spirit of god then we will better be able to deal with fear in your life he says i pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you so we need the eyes of our heart that's weird how can the heart have eyes the heart is the core of who we are so it's more than just our mind and mental knowledge it's the eyes of our heart the true core depth of our beings knowing who he is who we are and the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe so we need the truth meditation and word and in spirit in order to be free from fear in this season and the Holy Spirit is essential and we need to learn to walk in the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit and allow your mind and heart to move from a troubled heart to a peaceful heart and we see that in Romans 8 16 God's Spirit touches our spirit and confirms who we really are so you need to know who you really are you're a child you're loved your loving Father cares for you is your protector Romans 8 16 the message we know who he is and we know who we are father and children so that's point number one point number two is know he is with you what did Immaculate hear God say I am with you what did Joseph hear I am with you what do you need to hear he is with you Isaiah gives the second reason that we can live unafraid he says when you pass through the waters guess what I will be with you not if you pass through the waters but when I will be with you my grace is sufficient I will be there with you he goes on to say I will be with you therefore he goes on to say do not be afraid and that's the only way you can be unafraid to know that he's with you you know one of the things that a child loves when they're afraid is to hold your hand or a hug they just need to know you're with them someone stronger than they someone who they trust, someone who they believe can uh, destroy anything that would come against them. Well, how much greater do we need as children a loving father and to stay close to him? Isaiah 43, do not be afraid for I am with you. You need to know he is with you. Now, one of the main reasons we can be unafraid is to know and to believe that he is with us always. Now, Jesus said that before he left earth which I think sometimes is rather funny because he said, and surely I'm with you to his disciples. He said, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, the very end of the age. I am with you to the very end of the age. age. What does he do? He disappears off and goes back to heaven. <laughs> so it didn't seem to last very long. So how was he always with you? How was he always with the disciples? Well, he said, it's better that I return to the Father because I can send my Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you 
and the Holy Spirit is fully God who dwells in you. So truly God is with you always. He's with you always by the Spirit who lives in you because he is fully God. So he's truly with us always. Jesus may have returned to heaven, but he sent his Spirit. The Spirit is the presence of God that is with you always. He's your paracletos. That means one called alongside a helper. You have someone who's there to give you what you need just when you need it, just at the right time. He's inside you, with you, always. Now, it may not always necessarily feel like he's with you. In fact, it often feels like he's a thousand miles away, but that's when we not, must not rely on our emotions and feelings. But again, we need to come back to the Word and the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, live in step with the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, not quench the Holy Spirit, live in relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's how we overcome fear. We need to let the Spirit control your mind. We're told if you do this and learn how to do this, um, we're told in Romans 8 verse 6, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So we really need to unpack that and discuss that in small groups. How do you let the Spirit control your mind? Because once you learn to do that, we're told it leads, um, your, it leads to life and peace. So that's so important that we, um, it's something that we can learn to do. And it takes, that takes some work on our part. How do you let the Spirit control your mind? It takes practice, effort, it requires us to be proactive. You need to fill your mind before it's filled with the news and other worries and fears. Worship is one of the best ways you can do this. Real worship in spirit and in truth. Prayer, real heartfelt prayer. Solitude, getting isolated and alone with God. Walking in fresh air, reading good books and good company, albeit virtual company. These are all essential. Thirdly, so know he's with you. Thirdly, know his faithfulness and his promises. Know his faithfulness and his promises. And Moses changed the name of a man from Hoshea, which means salvation, to Joshua, one of the books of the Old Testament. And that means Yahweh, that's a name for God, the Lord is salvation. So he changed his name from salvation to the Lord is salvation. And he was putting the name of Yahweh into his name. And it was almost like his role was being placed into his name to remind him of his calling. Now, Moses no doubt wanted him to know that salvation does not come from man. Salvation, saving of a nation or a person or a situation, does not come from man, it comes from Yahweh. And hence, Yahweh was put into his name, Hoshea to Joshua. Yahweh, God, is salvation. Now, Joshua was Moses' assistant since youth. He was a warrior who would fight on behalf of Moses. He was one of the 12 spies who came back with a good report along with Caleb. Now in Joshua 3 to 4, Israel is preparing to enter into the land that God had promised them. They're about to enter a crucial transition into the promised land. But first they must cross a boundary. And God promises Joshua his presence. He says, I will be with you. Three times he tells them, at least three times, I will be with you. And it's this promise of his presence reminds us of what we have just read in Isaiah. When you go through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the fires, I will be with you. It reminds us of Jesus' promise, I will be with you always through the Spirit dwelling inside of us. 
Now we're told, the priests were told to carry the ark and stand in the river. What river was it? It was the Jordan River. That river Jesus would later be baptized in. Now it's flooded at this time of the spring and the Jordan River had a reputation for being a right muddy river. And in the spring the river was wider than its normal width of 90 to 100 feet. It was deeper than its average 3 to 10 feet. So we've got a muddy, deep, wide river that they're told, the priests are told to stand in the middle of that river. And the Israelites are going to experience another miracle from God, similar to the one that they had at the Red Sea a number of years earlier. But first, the priests had to stand by faith with the ark in the muddy river. And you can read that in Joshua 3.15, 3 verse 8. And for you, command the priests who bear the ark of the covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Hi, Lens. <laughs> That's Lens just putting the rubbish out. So, you shall stand in the Jordan. So, they're told to go and stand in this river. Now, we shouldn't rush past the significance of this. The priests, they represented the people of God. They had to carry the ark, which was a symbol of God's power and presence. And they had to go into the flooded, muddy river and stand in it. And it acquired incredible trust, faith, and humility. And this was all required before the miracle of the flowing of the river would stop. Now, it's interesting that the river didn't stop flowing as they prayed on the side of the river. It stopped flowing as they got into the center of the muddy river, holding the Ark of the Covenant, symbolic of the presence of God. And I believe that this is significant for our lives, because the waters of the Jordan would not be cut off until the priests set foot in the Jordan. And it reminds me also that Peter did not walk on the water until he got out of the boat and fixed his eyes on Jesus and started to walk on the water. And the miracle we need for our life similarly comes as we hear his voice, respond in faith, and step out in action steps into the muddy river. Often we want to hide from or avoid the river. But the good news is that we can get through that river. We come, come out onto the other side of the promised land. Now Hosea could not do it, but Joshua could. Hosea could not experience the miracle. He couldn't bring it on his own. He couldn't bring it without Yahweh. But Joshua, with Yahweh, with God, could experience this miracle. Um, because God was on his side, fighting on his behalf. Similarly, as we need Yahweh in our lives to fight on our behalf. Now, Isaiah uses that fire and rivers as a picture of tribulation and difficulty um, that we're going to go through. And we're seeing here in this historical account in Joshua, another picture of the people of God experiencing this literally in their lives. They're experiencing that when you pass through the waters of the Jordan, Joshua, the priests, pass through the waters, Isaiah said, I will be with you. God was with them. The Ark of the Covenant, symbolizing the power and presence of God, was with them. And when you pass through the rivers, they didn't sweep over them. The rivers stopped and held back. And Joshua reminds the people that the living God is among you. So to overcome fear, you must know the living God is among you. In fact, he dwells in you by his Holy Spirit. And this living God is faithful. He keeps his promises 
And in this season of coronavirus, we must meditate in word and in spirit on his promises to us and remember his word and his faithfulness to his promises. He will never leave you. He will not let you drown or burn. He will be with you in the waters. He'll be with you in the fire as he was with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Remember those three faithful servants in the book of Daniel that were thrown into the fire but they did not burn. They experienced that promise in Isaiah. When you go through the fires, they will not consume you. In fact, only one thing was burnt, uh, was the ropes that bound these three followers, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And similarly, we will go through waters, we will go through fires, but they come out not even smelling of smoke, not even their hair was singed. And so we can have confidence that we, God is with us. Whatever the outcome, God is with me. I'm going to believe I'm not going to get coronavirus. But even if I do, I believe that God is with me and he will get me through. And I believe that God is uh, going to work all things to my good and get me through. Whatever trial, whatever tr river, whatever fire I that you're going to go through. Lastly, fourth point, remember what he's done in the past. We have to remember his faithfulness. Now in Joshua 4, Joshua commands the priest to take 12 stones from the, the, the muddy river, the middle of the muddy river, um, at the place, where, the place where their feet stood. 17, uh, Joshua 4, 3. Command them saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan. This is important. Take 12 stones from the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly and bring them over with you and lay them down in a place where you lodge tonight. This is important here, okay? The 12 stones were to be set up as a memorial so that future generations could remember and learn that the living God who was with and among them is, is one who is faithful to his promises. And it was to teach future generations and to remind the people um, of God's faithfulness and his power. And so, similarly, we need to overcome fear to look at these 12 stones. We need a pile of 12 stones. The stones were to come from the place where your feet stood in the middle of the muddy river and that river did not overwhelm you, but you got through it. Okay, so we need a pile of those stones. You need to come and visually see memories and remind yourself of the times when God was with you and God did a miracle for you. And each stone has to come from the place where this, the priest stood in the middle of the muddy river. Now each of you in the past has stood in the middle of a river of tribulation, of difficulty. And God was faithful and showed himself faithful and powerful to his promises. And you were able to stand in that river it didn't overwhelm you. The fire didn't consume you, but you came through the fire. You came through the river and you're on the other side of blessing. It's important to remember that because sometimes we fear, are we ever going to get through coronavirus? Will it ever come to the end? Will I survive? Will I be consumed? Will I, will I drown? Well, this is where we come back to the word of God. What does the word of God say? And we've been looking at that. He says, you will not drown. You will not be overwhelmed. God is, God is with you. He's with you. He'll never leave you. And so it's important for us to remember those times that we've stood in the middle of the river and he wanted the priest to take the stones from the very place that their feet stood 
Take a stone, something that will remind you of that river of adversity that you stood in. So when you see the stone, you will remember the river, the muddy river. You will remember as you went into that river, the fear that you felt, the coldness, the discomfort, the dirt. You will remember it. But you will not only remember the discomfort and the pain. You will remember God's faithfulness, his power. You remember that you weren't overwhelmed. And this will remind you that similarly, in the next river that we're facing right now, this flips this time, this time of tribulation, squashing, squeezing, crushing circumstances you're going to get through. Now, if we remember those stones and we were to see a pile of stones, not just from you, but from all the family of God, then it would not be such a great encouragement. And we need to see that. We need to see the stone from that river of cancer that that person was brought through. We need to see a stone from that river of a lung transplant that was desperately needed. We need to see the stone from the river of financial desperation that God unbelievably provided for. We need to see a stone from that river of tragedy that was painful and crushing, but that you got through. We need a stone from that river of poverty and sickness that you thought you would destroy you, but somehow, by God's grace, you managed to come through. We need to see a stone from that time of a broken relationship that you never thought you would ever recover from and see the power and faithfulness of God to bring beauty from ashes. Imagine as a church family, we piled all these stones from the rivers and fires that God has brought us through. We would remember the living God is among us. We would remember he is faithful to his promises that we need to come back and visually see and mentally remember God's faithfulness, what he's done in the past, he's the same yesterday, today and forever. He's not going to abandon us now. He's with us in this most of troubling of time. And it helps us to overcome fear during this deep river that we're currently in. Let's finish on 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It says, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. So the power of Christ may rest upon me. You may be feeling incredibly weak, but don't worry. That's okay. It's okay to be weak and to feel weak. My commentary said this. Paul's prayer was not answered. It was answered, but not in the way he hoped. In effect, God said to Paul, I will not remove the thorn, but I will do something better. I will give you grace to bear it. And just remember, Paul, that although I have not given you what you asked for, yet I'm giving you what you most deeply need. You want my power and strength to accompany your preaching, don't you, Paul? Well, the best way for that, happen, for that to happen is for you to be kept in a place of weakness. So don't be afraid of weakness. The commentary says this was God's repeated, to, repeated answer to Paul's thrice-repeated prayer, and it continues to be God's answer to his suffering people, throughout the world. Better than the removal of trials and sufferings is the companionship of the Son of God in them and insurance of his strength and enabling grace. Be assured of his strength, his enabling grace, his grace is enough for you in this season. We're going to finish with a prayer right now. Dear Father, we ask for your grace right now for those who are Full of fear that you would come now and take away that fear. For those who don't know you, 
God, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We come to you today, Lord Jesus. We ask you to forgive me for living without you. I don't understand what's going on in the world, but I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive me for going my own way, doing my own thing, not trusting you. And I ask you to come into my life. Let me know who you are. Let me know that I am your child, that you will care for me. I give you my fear, my anxiety right now, God. And I ask for your deep presence, your peace to come and release this tightness of my chest, this fear, this worry, and let your presence consume me and let me know that you're with me right now and forever in your presence. Protect me, God. Keep me safe. Give me the strength. Protect my home. Protect my children. Protect my family. Keep me safe, Lord. Keep my family, my street, my city safe from this deadly virus. Let it not come near me and my family, but even if it does, Lord, let me trust that you're with me and you will give me the grace and strength to fight it and get through it. I ask this in your name. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.